and welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians at the Beaufort County Library in South Carolina. And this week, we are going to be doing something that we did last year. Mm-hmm. We're going to be discussing books that we that are out of our comfort zones. Part two. Part two. Back again. <laughs> um, so why do we do this, Anne? It's so much fun. It's so fun. It's really fun. Like, I love the assignment part of it. I love the, I I just love getting, I love being told you're going to be reading this mm-hmm. and it's, I just really think that's fun. Yeah. So even though it's stuff that I, is not what I would pick up, you'd think that would make me less interested in it, yeah. but instead it's more, Ooh, what surprises like surprise. do I have yeah. in store for me? So, so I think we did the same thing last year where we each picked two books for each other and then we picked one for ourselves mm-hmm. that we knew was not in our comfort zone. Yeah. So it's basically an excuse for Hallie to get me to read romance. To like romance. So <laughs> I think that's why it's Which fun Which you have her. to admit last year. It was very successful. Was successful. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't do two romance this year though. No. I only did one. No. And so. it's your, what do you, what would you say your MO is for me, the books um, that you pick? I don't know that I'm trying to convert you to anything. Mm-hmm. So, cause I know you read really widely anyway. Mm-hmm. And so it's not like I'm, I'm, I have some genre that I love mm-hmm. that you don't appreciate. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just, I know that I read things that you don't mm-hmm. read, and so it's more to have you just find if you'll like other mm-hmm. stuff. So, but I don't have like like someday I'm going to find the perfect right mystery that because yeah. you already like mysteries, right. it's just fine. Right. It's just not your go-to not favorite, thing. Yeah. So, but I tried to pick things for you that I didn't think were the type of mystery you would yeah. normally read, mm-hmm. and then I picked nonfiction yeah. because I know you are not a always a nonfiction right. reader. So, which I'm not either, uh-huh. but I have nonfiction I really love. Mm-hmm. So, so that was just my idea yeah. on this one yeah that was fun it was they were good selections this year good, good, good selections good. last year too. all right do we want to talk any more about did this change your reading at all last year or do you foresee it changing your reading at all this um, year from branching out a little bit i definitely was more open last year to romances mm-hmm. and but i think i talked about how i still didn't feel comfortable just reading any romance mm-hmm. and i think i even got a list from you mm-hmm. of like, acceptable yeah. <laughs> yes um which i probably acceptable to you I yes mean, acceptable yeah. to me yeah that that sort of have what i liked about the sarah mm. mclean book that we that we read last year but i i also didn't read more romance mm. last year other than i read that that eloisa james yeah. book that was kind of surprise mm-hmm. but uh, those are sort of hard to find as advanced copies mm. they're I, I'm sure they are out there that the, they're given to authors, but or to I'm sorry to librarians. But then when I'm requesting those, then I don't know the titles mm-hmm. or the, the authors well enough to know mm-hmm. is this one that I will like. Yeah. So I don't just request them mm-hmm. just because they look fun. Because mm-hmm. right now everything sort of has that bodice ripping cover yeah. again, yeah. where it sort of got away from that for a little yeah. while. So. So I, I was much more open to it mm-hmm. this year mm-hmm. than I would have ever been. But I don't know that I read more romances than I right. used to right. read. So, I understand. And that's more just because I, I am so inclined to have to want to read different things. So I always have these intentions of reading things that I never get to. Mm-hmm. So my intention was to finish the series of... Oh, right. It's clean, right? Yeah. I can't remember the Love the, by Numbers yeah. series, I think. Um, and I still want to. I just didn't get to it. Mm-hmm. So how about you? for you? Do you think you... Um, I, I don't think you started reading culinary mysteries. Did not start reading culinary mysteries <laughs> as a result. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think it reinforces every time we do this. It reinforces the idea of like my goal of reading mm-hmm. more than just what I am drawn to. Right. So right. more than opening my eyes to like a specific genre and like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to read more of that. Mm-hmm. I just think it reinforces the idea of there's so many books out there right. and I shouldn't just rely on the things that from the description, I think. Right. Especially one of mine this time, the description, I was like, oh, I don't know about this, Anne. But then um, actually reading it, I thought, oh, okay, this, I can handle this. Yeah. So, which I'll talk about a little bit. But yeah. anyway, so, so yeah, sort of the same as you. Mm-hmm. I think it just opens me up to the possibility. And I think right. it's helpful because we work at public libraries just to understand what we call appeal factors mm-hmm. why people like these books even though right. i don't necessarily want to pick one up all the time why somebody would want to right. i think it's just helpful right from that standpoint right beyond sure. a personal enjoyment standpoint yeah and just to to get more books under your belt right. that you right. can throw out at people right. it's funny to me though on on the uh, book challenges that i'm doing this mm-hmm. year i think each one or maybe not all of them have something that's read a 
read a bestseller from a genre mm-hmm. you don't normally read or something or, or a genre you've never heard of. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, there are literally no, no genres, genres I've never that, heard of. I know. Yeah, I can't do that one. I know. So I'm, I think I'll just have to alter it to something I wouldn't normally. That's what pick. I had to do. I mean, that's, that's what I turned it into. Yeah. Because I, mean, I thought their job lit- to like, know these. I, I, yeah, I don't know. And I don't even know at this point how I would find one that I don't know. About. Right. Yeah. So I went with one that yeah. was a subgenre of something that I don't mm-hmm. ordinarily read pretty much. Yeah. Um, okay. So tell me what your first one was. Okay. The first one is one you assigned me and it's The Language of Flowers by Vanessa Diffenbaugh. And uh, this was a super popular book a few years ago. I think it came out about five years mm-hmm. ago-ish, maybe like a little that, bit longer. Yeah. Um, and it was especially huge with book clubs. For a while, it, you couldn't get it because every book club, it seemed, was doing this book. And I'd always intended on reading it. it I, in fact, it even was on my, my to-be-read list on Goodreads, and I was very surprised by that. But these books kind of never appeal to me. Um, they're not exactly women's fiction in the same way that you would find, like, a... Um, Dorothea Benton Frank or a Debbie McComer book to be women's fiction. That's like a very specific genre. So I'm not really sure how you categorize this. I always think of it as being like a book club book. Yeah, so falls into that. Yeah, book it's, clubby. <laughs> it's about women and it's kind of issues mm-hmm. based and character based, but um, and they're serious in mm-hmm. tone, but they're not exactly literary mm-hmm. either. Mm-hmm. So it's like this middle ground mm-hmm. of I don't know what you'd what you'd call it. I tried to look it up on on. Uh, the database we use called Novelist, and it just called it psychological fiction. Hmm. And I was like, I guess that works, yeah. but I don't know hmm. that quite. I don't, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. So, um, so I'd never pick this up because, to be honest, the premise of it sounded really hokey to me. So, but I sort of had intentions at one point. So the book is about a young woman named Victoria Jones who has just turned 18 when the book starts. It's actually her 18th birthday. And she spent her entire life in the uh, foster care system in San, Francis- San Francisco, and she is being emancipated that day. So her caseworker keeps trying to get her to find a job so she'll be able to survive um, in the outside world and also to make some connections with people so she'll have some sort of support system. But Victoria isn't interested in this at all. Um, the only thing that she really enjoys are plants and specifically flowers. So as the story progresses, you it's really kind of alternating chapters where you get these flashbacks to to her childhood and you sort of find out how she became the way she is. And um, you find out that for a brief period when she was 10, she lived with a woman named Elizabeth and had a, a very stable home life. And Elizabeth owned a vineyard and knew everything about plants. And so she taught Victoria the language of flowers and I thought actually this was common knowledge about the the language of flowers because as a super nerdy kid, I was very into the Victorians and so I knew about this stuff. So I didn't realize that it wasn't stuff people knew about, but from reviews I've read, it sounds like it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you haven't heard about this, um, basically during the Victorian era, then people had assigned flowers meaning. So if you uh, gave someone a specific flower, that meant something. So So we still sort of have that now where red roses equal love and like romantic mm-hmm. love and olive means peace mm-hmm. there's there's things that have carried on from that that we still do today but every flower had a meaning so so like hyacinth was forgive me and and there were just all these different things so you could give a bouquet to someone that would have all these specific meanings to the flowers that mm-hmm. you you were giving them and they could go home and look that up and realize what you were trying to say by that so so it's very intricate and very just this kind of fun code that that happened um, during Victorian times. So Victoria knows all of these meanings by, by heart. And she, um, throughout her life, has used flowers to convey her feelings. But usually those have been her mistrust of others. And she's she basically can't stand anyone. Um, so once she's emancipated, she's homeless for a while until she finds work with a local florist who sees that Victoria has a gift with flowers. And she begins to create these arrangements that are based on flowers' meanings versus their aesthetic um, look. And so her clients, or or the florist clients, start to come specifically to Victoria with their problems for her to solve through her bouquets. And and it, it actually works. They they she chooses specific flowers for them, and um, they have these things happen in their lives. So she's finally starting to feel this sense of security and purpose. Um, but then she meets a flower vendor at the market who forces her to com- to confront her past and she has to decide whether she can open herself up to the possibility of happiness. So it sort of has this, I don't want to call it, like it's not magical realism, but it sort of has this mystical feeling to it because the flowers actually do solve things. And that's sort of left to you to 
determine whether they actually are doing things or whether it's just a psychosomatic kind of opening yourself up to possibilities that you hadn't thought of before. I felt like there was a sort of otherworldly sense to the book where where it there were things that couldn't quite happen in real life, but they just worked in the book. So um, I don't know if that was intended by the author or if that's just what I took from it, but I was very surprised at how much I enjoyed it. I found it very calming mm-hmm. and soothing to read. And it's kind of a quiet book. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of plot in it, but it's definitely more invested in Victoria's character and in her journey. And um, it turned out to not really feel hokey at all. Mm-hmm. So it was often very sweet, mm-hmm. but but hopeful mm-hmm. and sad and, mm-hmm. and just just sort of felt nice to read. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had actually read her follow up book and I didn't I didn't enjoy it very much. And so I had never I just thought she wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really liked this one. And I it reads pretty fast, but I found myself wanting to slow it down just because mm-hmm. it was it was a nice, nice thing to come to mm-hmm. at the end of the day. So, um, so good pick for you. I'm glad. Yeah. I know well, you really loved it. So. I really loved it. Yeah. We, I read this with my book club, mm-hmm. um, whenever, not when it came out, but you know, maybe a year or so after when it was, mm-hmm. when everyone age. was still doing all of it. Yes. Everyone um, always picks book clubs at the same time. Yes, like, exactly. Ah, no one can get these books for years. And I just, I really loved it. I mm-hmm. thought that the, the characters were interesting mm-hmm. and, empathetic and yeah i if i'm remembering correctly vanessa diffenbaugh has some sort of association with the foster care right, system yeah so she's I raised felt, foster kids herself okay and then yeah created a, a, a foundation community. or something yeah. yeah so i felt like she knew what she was speaking about right. and it was from a very realistic or it was a realistic portrayal of a girl who had grown up in foster care mm-hmm. and what life would be like when you age out of the system and are on yeah. your own for the first time. So yeah, I really, I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. I, I was hopeful that it would, it would appeal to you, especially after you said you read her second one, which I have not read mm-hmm. and you didn't like it. I was mm-hmm. a little concerned that maybe this wouldn't be for you. So I'm glad that you enjoyed it. Yeah. This yeah. one, I, my issue with that one was that it felt, I just thought it was very predictable. Mm-hmm. And this one, I don't know that it was surprising in mm-hmm. plot, but it, I, I was expecting more of a, she's given every chance in the world to be, to, to get things and she throws them all away. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's not, not things that happen mm-hmm. in the book. Like there's definitely times that, that Victoria has a good thing going mm-hmm. and she sabotages it. it yeah. But, um, but I thought it would be, I'm supposed to like her in spite of how mm-hmm. terrible she is. And she's a, she's a very good person. Mm-hmm. She isn't, she isn't terrible the way that mm-hmm. I sort of expected from the, from the book jacket. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it was just a nice surprise yeah. for good. me. So yay. Good. Good pick. Oh, good. I'm glad. All right. So the one, my first one is one you picked for me. It's Longitude, the true story of a lone genius who solved the greatest scientific problem of his time by Deva Sobel. Sobel. I don't know, actually. I always have said Sobel. Sobel. That's what I was about to say. But then as I was reading it off the my screen i was like maybe it's yeah, so bad. i probably should look it up at some probably. point but she's written a lot of books so, oh, um, so bad someday that. i know all right so this was way out of my comfort zone mm-hmm. if i read nonfiction, it's usually autobiography memoir right sort of stuff essays it's not this so <laughs> we take it for granted now that or at least i do <laughs> <laughs> that, like if i want to know the latitude and longitude of something you can just look it up or how to get or how to yeah, or like <laughs> how to drive somewhere right. or go by boat like that it, you will end up in the place that you intend to end up. Right. So this was not always the case in the 18th mm-hmm. century. Uh, as the title said, the biggest scientific problem was figuring out a reliable way to determine uh, longitude when you weren't in sight of land. Mm-hmm. Basically, uh, sailors would literally, literally be lost at sea as soon as they moved away from the coast and couldn't see um, land anymore, which caused many deaths and the loss of money, basically, from ships sinking and not making it to Mm -hmm. a port where they're supposed to be. And so suddenly the wealth of nations was on the line because they were losing all these resources as well as human life. Mm -hmm. I don't know that they cared so much about the human life. Pretty (laughs) sure they didn't, but I do. So I'm throwing that in there. Um, so this became an issue. I mean, there were, there was like money at stake that whoever was able to solve this problem with win this big prize. And so all these scientists were trying to figure it out. I mean, not even just scientists, like people were mm-hmm. just trying to figure it out. And they were all going about it by mapping the stars and the mm-hmm. skies and measuring distance from one star and, um, and you know, the time they were like the heavens were a part of it. And mm-hmm. so um, it was all this attempt to measure longitude that were really difficult and not 
it was none of them were working, even right. though in theory they could kind of it, they would think it would work. But then in, in reality, it wasn't working. So John Harrison believed that there was a mechanical answer. He believed that if you could build a timekeeper, which would keep accurate time while at sea, you'd be able to measure longitude. And this is something that no clock had ever been able to accurately keep time while at sea. Things would get rusted because of the the moisture mm-hmm. um, of being at sea, the the rocking of the boat would throw off the mechanical portions of it. There was just no, mm-hmm. they hadn't come up with a way to do it. So to be honest, I still don't quite understand how this measure measures longitude, even though I read this whole book. <laughs> <laughs> but what I liked about it was there's all this drama mm-hmm. about him attempting to do this. I mean, he spent like 40 years of his life mm-hmm. in an effort to perfect this this timekeeper, which we now know as a chronometer, mm-hmm. I think is how you say it, right? Because there was this monetary reward, which I'm sorry, I read this book like two months ago. So I'm having, because <laughs> we, we assigned these, uh, full disclosure, we assigned these a while ago before Anne had to be out yeah, for we, medical we leave. Thought we'd be we doing thought this we'd be doing it like, quite a while ago. Yeah, so, so. Um, so I'm sorry, I don't, I don't remember. And it's pretty detailed. Yeah, the, but book, so, so. Um, so there was this large to, reward to and there were all these people vying for that and nobody wanted to give out the money without the assurance that the that the solution had actually was existed that that somebody had really come up with the solution so and there was pride at stake like there a lot of people thought that it had to be more complicated than just Mm -hmm. a simple timekeeper Mm -hmm. like that there was um sort of a snobby attitude like that was like a lower class thing to create a machine versus this ideological, philosophical, like map the stars solution. So I loved that part of it. Like Mm -hmm. I loved that story. Still don't quite understand how you measure (laughs) longitude. (laughs) If any of you out there know in two sentences can tell me, please tell me. Um, So uh, you recommended I got the illustrated edition Mm -hmm. because it's not a very long book. It's only, it's less than 200 pages, I think. It's pretty tiny. Um, And so the the illustrated edition, when I got it, I was like, oh my gosh, because it's this big book, but it's because it's got all these images in it mm-hmm. of all the different the ways that they were trying mm-hmm. to to sort out this problem and so that really helped me because reading the descriptions it was very hard to picture in my head yeah. what they were talking about this book still not my cup of tea like I don't mm-hmm. think I'm ever going to read a review of some nonfiction book and think that is going to be the next book I read right but I'm really glad I read it I thought it I loved the like people portion of it Mm -hmm. i loved the story like the biography portion about him and his struggle to get it and the like soap opera ness Mm -hmm. of because there's like this one particular villain who's kind of against him and like and he keeps having to change his his design to satisfy yeah the committee yeah and right how and all the um what's what's the word i want like the the unfairness of, of yeah. what they make him go through yeah. is like is... even when so he makes several versions of it and basically mm-hmm. they all work it's mm-hmm. just making it smaller making it more portable like mm-hmm. different different ways of doing it, it they yeah, keep throwing is the up word, word yeah. i'm trying to come yeah, up with justice like yeah they keep throwing up these obstacles right. to be like well sure it worked on that transatlantic voyage but now we have to make sure it works to the second and, right you know i mean it's like he keeps proving himself mm-hmm. and they keep throwing up these roadblocks. So that part I thought was really, really interesting. I think what I was trying to figure out, cause I really enjoyed it mm-hmm. while I read it and it didn't really feel like reading a textbook or something right. like that. You know, I mean, it was very interesting to me, but I think my reading personality, I really like to get lost in my reading and mm-hmm. become very absorbed in it. And I was very aware I was reading a book the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's sort of why I don't read those because it, it just, feels like reading a book to me and yeah. in, I I think there are different kinds of readers some readers read for information and I'm not one of those readers mm-hmm. so but I'm so glad I read it and and it was it was really interesting and maybe someday I'll learn actually how it works <laughs> uh, so that's longitude the true story of a lone genius who solved the greatest scientific problem of his time by Davis Sobel I really love that book yeah it was I good I really really love it wait I read it in a the first time I read it, it was for my history 101 class in, in college. And it was my first semester of, of college. And so history 101 is like Renaissance to, I can't remember, 1900 or something mm-hmm. is was the, the time frame. And so we had read, we had like our textbook and we had to read the prints and mm-hmm. everyone kind of hated reading the prints. Yeah. And then 
And then this other book that we were assigned was Longitude. And I swear that was the most exciting class. People came in and everyone loved that book. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe part of it was that they assumed that it would be dry because the prints had been so dry to get through. And then there's like this competition and there's there's a villain and and it was just it was just so interesting to us and so i think that that was maybe the first time i had read narrative nonfiction uh-huh. where um i realized that it could be a story uh-huh. instead of just information fact, fact, yeah fact. and so but i do remember getting very tripped up because i just don't have a science background at all and so i remember getting very tripped up on the mechanics of it uh-huh. and the details so i think for someone else that is more mechanically minded uh-huh. it maybe would would be easier to read yeah and at some point and this generally happens um in the next book i'm going to talk about anytime there's science involved i get very concerned that i'm going to miss something Mm -hmm. because i don't understand the science and so i end up reading it over and over and over Mm -hmm. again and at some point i just have to say that's not the point Mm -hmm. and and maybe for someone else that understands science more they'd get another layer out of this Mm -hmm. that i'm not going to get but it's just not going to happen mm-hmm. for me. So don't kill myself trying to understand yeah. how this works. Yeah, I think that's why I grasped onto the, the humanity portion right, of it right. versus the science because like, I'm never going right. to understand the science and the mechanics. And it, that doesn't, my brain doesn't right. register that stuff. And that's why I said to do the illustrated version yes. because I, I know that when I was reading the the um, just regular version, mm-hmm. then they described the machine that he makes and I was having such a hard time picturing things and I was getting my, was so caught up and mm-hmm. so, so bogged down in. So this piece goes there and this, and it, it rocks because it's sort of, it's sort right. of freestanding yeah. in a case and I just couldn't picture that. Mm-hmm. And so, and so then once I saw the illustrated version, I'm like, oh, there that's what go. it looks like. Yeah. Okay. So now I don't have to work so hard yeah. at trying to imagine that. So, yeah. um, yeah, but I, I I don't think I've read another of her books. I think I own several of her books, oh. but I don't know that I've ever read any of them. But I I that was sort of the early two thousands period of the microhistories yeah. being a big thing, and and this is to me a very cool example mm. of of that type of nonfiction that can make you um make you understand a story. Yeah. So yeah. No. Yeah. yeah I'm glad you. It was a great selection. Hooray! Yay. Okay. My next book is Wool by Hugh Howey, and this is one that I picked. It's a dystopia which falls into the sci-fi category that I usually try to avoid. So (laughs) I actually have read a fair amount of YA dystopia. So I read Hunger Games. I read Divergent. And I like some of them. But um, generally, I don't think that they find a lot of new angles within dystopia Mm -hmm. that are very interesting to me. I would would say Hunger Games is the exception to that. I think that that's a a really, really great series. But a lot of the other sort of offshoots of, Mm -hmm. of that, I don't think do anything very interesting. So so I picked this just because I came across it in the shelves at work. Um, I was looking for something else and the title intrigued me because I wanted to know what wool had to do with a dystopia. Mm-hmm. So, so that's all that's behind the, the <laughs> choosing of it. So in this, in this book, the dystopian society is a community that lives in a huge underground silo and it's hundreds of levels deep. And they can't go outside. The people that live in it can't go outside because it's what we assume is a nuclear wasteland. Mm-hmm. And and I don't. They don't say in the book what happened to create this this inhospitable country mm-hmm. outside of the 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 silo. But um, but everyone knows that you just can't go outside. So each each part of the silo has different roles depending on what level they live on. So at the top of the silo is the section that creates the laws and they they uh, maintain the computer mainframe and then the middle levels supply food and then the lower levels perform mechanical functions and basically keep the power going and so each section has kind of its own status that goes with it so um so it's a very class divided society even though they all live in a pretty small space together Um, but it's very hard to move between these levels because hundreds of levels of stairs is not the easiest thing to move through um but everything works together for the most part um with the occasional need for discipline but then every now and then someone breaks the biggest taboo of all which is to ask to go outside so if that happens then someone the person who asks has to perform the ritual of cleaning which is to put on a protective suit and then go clean the cameras that um maintain the view of of the um surroundings of the silo and um, that's basically banishing the person from society and everyone that has done this has died in, in full view of the, the people in the silo. Um, but everyone still cleans. They, they'll be fighting 
tooth and nail to having to go outside but then they always end up cleaning and then they always wander off and they they are going across the hills that are in the distance but everyone then dies so so no one really understands why they agree to do this so at the very beginning of the book the sheriff who is named holston he demands to go outside and he's sent out to his death and the mayor and the deputy sheriff decide to replace him with a mechanic named Juliet who lives at the very bottom of of the silo and she's impressed them with her level-headedness and her work ethic and so um, they go to to offer her the job and she has no interest in it but she accepts it reluctantly and as she takes on this role she discovers what made Holston want to go outside and she realizes that the silo isn't at all what she and her community have um, been led to believe so this is a very compelling premise, and it, and it, for the most part, delivers, especially in the first chapter when Holston, um, you see from his perspective why he wants to go outside, um, n- not not the full picture of it, but you you get a lot of information that makes you want to read further that the other characters don't have yet, and it's sort of putting those two parts together that makes you want to keep going. Um, and the structure of the society and the the world that that he's created, um, that the author has created, are really well thought out. But I'm not sure that it's terribly different than other dystopia. But I still found it enjoyable. And this was one that I read at your house too. And and I it was definitely one where I got bogged down in the details. And I wish I had read it faster than it probably took me four days to read it versus you know a couple of days of just straight reading. Um, just because I kept getting getting uh, caught up in details. And I do think it should have been shorter. I think that it, it went too long. But it was originally self-published online. And then because it was so popular, it got a book deal for a whole series. And I don't know that I would care enough to read the entire series, especially because this this type of book is so often so often falls in the trap of here's a great premise in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then when it expands into a bigger conspiracy, mm-hmm. then um, it sort of gets less interesting to me. But I'm very happy I read it. I was I didn't want to quit in in the same way that I quit my book last year that I picked for myself. So so I was it was it was very fun. And if you haven't read Dystopia before, this would be a good um, a good option for you. So yeah, yeah that sounds intriguing. Yeah, me. yeah. I just I think it should have been edited down yeah, some more. But that, yeah, it's a lot of yeah. selfish yeah stuff. All right. So my next one. You're going to have to say the author's names. It was one you picked for oh, me. Oh, yeah. It's I forgot the, about this one. <laughs> it's The Boy in the Suitcase by... Um, Cap- let me look at it. Hold on. Please I can't remember it. what the first names are. Oh, it's Lena Kobobut and Ignata Fleece. Yeah. See, never would have said ha. that right. I was a little bit nervous about this one based on the title. Me too. Um, because I expected it to be really gruesome. Yeah, yeah. And as we've established, we don't, neither of us do well with extreme violence, particularly towards children, mm-hmm. animals, really Just anybody. anything kind of sadistic yeah. is not, is not appealing. Yeah. So, but I trusted that, that you knew, yeah, I you know, anything before. that you had liked mm-hmm. that would be okay. Um, but, and this was so good. Uh, it was so good. I really, really enjoyed it. It's about a woman named, well, I shouldn't say that. So one of the characters is Nina Borg. She is a Red Cross nurse. She's a wife. She's a mother. She's kind of an all-around do-gooder who mm-hmm. um, sometimes neglects her family in order to help others. One day, her estranged friend, Karen, gives her a key to a public locker at the Copenhagen train station. Um, and inside the locker is a three-year-old boy in a suitcase. And the boy is alive, but is clearly drugged, and he speaks a different language. So Nina can't right off the bat figure out why he is there. Um, and then a few minutes later, she sees these two kind of thug-looking men breaking into the locker. And so immediately she realizes this is a bad situation, and she's on the run trying to protect this little boy because she needs to figure out how he got into the suitcase, if this is like a child trafficking situation, what it is. And then Karen ends up being murdered. Mm-hmm. So clearly this is a dangerous situation that Nina needs to, to figure out how to, how to s- save this little boy. Mm-hmm. There's also the story of a young mother in Lithuania who's desperate to find her missing child. Um, and so you're getting kind of the background of how this little boy went missing. You're getting the story of the kidnappers and the man who hired them. It's all woven together. Not, you know, kind of, you know, that they are all those people. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the mother is the mother. Right. And you know, the kidnappers are the kidnappers, but you're not sure what their motivations are, mm-hmm. how they're all tied together. Um, I love stories like that. Mm-hmm. I love where the pieces are all fitting. It's like a jigsaw puzzle, which I love jigsaw puzzles. Yes. Like, it's a puzzle as, you know, to piece together 
in addition to the mystery, solving the mystery of what's going to happen to this child and Nina mm-hmm. of like what, what happened to cause the situation right. to begin with. So right. it, I, I think I can say without spoiling anything, the resolution and the reason behind the kidnapping were not at all what I exactly. expected. That's why I loved it so much. <laughs> it was, and it was not a twist. I wouldn't say no, but like, in the in the traditional way that people talk about twists in yeah. in fiction. But it was a surprise. It and it plays on assumptions that you make about right. this type of book, right? And then it's not. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. I love yeah. that. So um, this is first in a series of four books and I am planning on reading at least the next one to mm-hmm. see if it's as intriguing as this one was um, because I really, really liked it. Um, it was The Boy in the Suitcase by two authors. I cannot pronounce their names. Lena Kobobut <laughs> and Agneta Fleece. Thank you. All right. What's your last one? Okay. Oh, I was going to say I have read the second one. Oh, and okay. it's very similar in the... The char- there's lots of damaged people oh, okay. in these books. Okay. And so there's like, like Nina's story is mm-hmm. going to continue in yeah, ways I- that, that start in the the first book. And so, but the, the, the feeling of it is mm-hmm. very similar okay. of, of you see these different people, different scenes with people that you don't know how they fit together. Okay. And then eventually you see how it all comes together. I noticed so. we have it on, oh, we have Hoopla, which is mm-hmm. uh, digital books, music video service that we have through the library and I noticed they have the audio book. Yeah, and I actually I thought, did it as audio. Did you? I yeah. thought I might try it as an yeah, audio yeah, for yeah. the next one. Yeah, I really liked that book. Yeah, Plus okay. it's in Denmark, so yeah, I'm not going to I'm not going to complain about that. Um uh, okay, my last book is Bet Beam by Jennifer Cruzy and I just realized yesterday that her name is Cruzy and not Cruz and I feel like an idiot. <laughs> so <laughs> No, scared. it's an easy mistake to make because it's C R U S I E versus C R U S. It's just your mind yeah. assumes these things. So <laughs> I really hope I haven't talked to someone about this <laughs> author. <laughs> so this was something that Hallie picked for me and I'm pretty sure she picked it because I didn't love last year's book which was Match Me If You Can. Yeah, the can Last year, I picked a historical and contemporary romance. Yeah. And you didn't like the contemporary. So I was trying to find one that you might like. Right. So I said last time what my issues are with contemporary romance. Um, I won't go over the whole thing, but basically, I think that it creates potentially unrealistic expectations in relationships. And um, I don't really love battle of the sexes kinds of plots mm-hmm. because I just find them problematic. Mm-hmm. And, and the genre seems very much to be based on that or very often based on that. And so that's something that I just struggle with personally. So I, I just tend to avoid them. But the synopsis on this one is is that a woman named Minerva Dobbs, who's nicknamed Min, she has just been dumped by her boyfriend, David, and she's mad, but she but not because she loved him, but because now she doesn't have a date to her sister's wedding and her mother's going to be very upset about this. So immediately afterward, uh, she hears David talking to a friend of his named Calvin Morrissey, who has a reputation as, as someone who can get any woman that he wants. And David kind of kind of in a convoluted way they end up making this bet david bets cal that ten dollars that he can't he can't get min to leave with him and then also bets him ten thousand dollars if she'll sleep with him within a month and cal is sort of strong-armed into accepting the first bet and he won't do the second one but but he sort of ends up going along with the first one but they don't know that min has overheard part of this conversation and she thinks that cal has accepted the bet to sleep with her but only for ten dollars and so she's very offended by this so when he approaches her, she decides that she'll teach him a lesson and go out with him for a month, um, at least until she can use him for the state to her sister's wedding and then dump him to get to give him a taste of his own medicine. So they end up going to dinner that night and Cal is all overconfident charm and Min is combative and sarcastic and they both agree that they can't stand each other. And so they I think they sort of decide they're not going to see each other again, but they always end up being thrown together. Um, I'm not really sure how that, I don't remember how that fit in with, with um, Min's plan to keep, to use him for the wedding, but <laughs> somehow it's, it works out. But of course they are completely attracted to each other in the meantime. So this actually really reminded me of Match Me If You Can. The, okay. the plot seems I very... I should say, I haven't read this. Oh! No, I've read other Jennifer Cruzy no books, way. but because I'm insane and I read things in order of publication. As should be. Uh, so not that they're a series, but I just read it right. in order of publication. You like to see how they develop. Right. Like writing style develops. So I've not read this one. I've read other ones by her. And this is this is always one of the tops on lists of best humorous contemporary mm-hmm. romances. So that's why I just chose it. For oh, you. okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I assumed you would read it. But the plot is reminds me a lot of Match Me If You Can. Not, not that there was a, a bet in that one, but sort of that competition of wanting one-upping each other 
And so I, and I said, then I was entertained by that, but I still always kind of struggle with the story. And we love to romanticize relationships that start with bickering and snippiness, but I don't think those are healthy and I've, I've been in them and they're terrible. So, but I also know that they're really fun to read. And that's sort of the whole basis of even all of Chiclet and, and rom-coms, but also in the like forties, that, that style of, of um, verbal battle with Mm -hmm. each other. And I found it fun to read. So I get why people, people do that. But I also found myself kind of weirdly nostalgic for the early 2000s while I was reading really? this because this is when it was set or published. Uh, I think it was 2004. And so the way the fashion is described and the way that the Internet is around, but still a little bit novel in certain mm-hmm. ways um, and technology isn't everywhere. Like that w- appealed to me so much. And I, I think maybe it's because I was having my first relationships during that time. And so it just sort of made me think about, oh. Yeah, that was fun back then. <laughs> so that kind of appealed to me more than the romance did. But if this is your thing, I totally get why it's appealing. Uh-huh. And I and I get, even though I always know I'll be frustrated by these kinds of books, uh-huh. I always, if I see them offered, I always want to pick them up uh-huh. because the covers are just so appealing. They're uh-huh. so pastel and they're so pink. And, and I just always feel like I'd be up for reading one because it goes down so easy. Uh-huh. So, so I totally get that even as my mind sort of rebels uh-huh. against it. So I feel like I need to find out if there are contemporary romances that don't start out with a contentious relationship, because it seems like that's so often the premise and that's the part that is what bothers yeah. me. So I'm, I'll, I'll find one. Yeah. I think that when we do this, I'm sure next year, then, <laughs> then that should be your goal. To find well, I should one. say this year I was going to give you two women's fiction originally. Oh, okay. And then I think we talked about, it and I was like, well, I'll do one women's fiction and one romance to try to yeah. get a contemporary romance that you might like. Yeah. I'm sure there, I'm, I'll look back through books I've read because okay. I know that there are some, well, and I should say like the first one that I'm thinking of off the top of my head, there's not a contentious romance. It's more like the, they're situated, like somebody's somebody's boss. So they're oh, forbidden okay. more than okay. contentious, you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. That okay. sort of situation. Yeah. I can see me getting into that. Yeah. So yeah. Any, anytime when I've been at, at the, the one conference I've gone to when they had books like this, uh-huh. I immediately wanted to snatch them up, uh-huh. even though I know that I'll kind of get angry at parts but this one I didn't feel had as many moments that bothered me in the way that the men were talking about Uh women although it still exists because I think that we we've come a long way in the last 10 years Uh on how we talk about gender in Uh this country so there's still lots of things that that come up that are very acceptable Uh to say but there were things that really bothered me and match Uh me with you match me if you can that that I didn't see in this one so so yeah Yeah. so still enjoyable I just can never quite give yeah. myself to it yeah so i'm glad you tried it yeah okay what was what right. was your, your my hit? last one is view with a grain of sand by vislava zimborska and i read this for book riot's read harder challenge this year which has a category for read a book of poetry and translation <gasps> on a theme other than love <gasps> i know oh my word i know <laughs> I knew that was in there, but I didn't know you picked it for your... That's the very first one I did because I wanted to get it out of the way. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So uh, I hope I'm saying her name right. Wisława Zimborska was a Polish poet, essayist, and translator, and she won the Pulitzer Prize for Literature in 1996. So this was actually on Goodreads. There's a group for the Read Harder Challenge, and I that's where I went for suggestions for this topic mm-hmm. because I was like, I have no idea even where to yeah, start. There's a lot of those, that, yeah. um, especially this year that this I year, feel like yeah. I have to get a suggestion because right. I just don't know. Right. So somebody had suggested this. And so I just thought I'll try it, yeah. you know, at very least won't like it and return it to the library, but I'll try it. Uh, it's a collection of a hundred poems about life and fate and the unpredictability and beauty of the world and and it's not really about romantic love in any way so which is part of the challenge Mm -hmm. because lots of like you know i think most people go to pablo i was just thinking that it's specifically said yeah not not love because everyone's just gonna say pablo right this could not have been more out of my comfort zone i don't think like poetry i mean in translation like that doesn't because it's translated, I don't yeah. know. I mean, that part of it isn't. It, that's not that's, hang It's up. like a non-issue kind right. of. It's the poetry part, right? <laughs> um, but I actually really liked it. Some of the poems resonated with me more than others, which I would imagine would be always the case in any collection of poetry. 
for like on a personal level of what mm-hmm. you connect with and what you don't. Um, but I thought they were all really gorgeous and um, the writing was really beautiful. Like I found myself rereading poems or lines of poems which is something i never Mm -hmm. do like i just read like i just plow forward for the most part i don't know that i'll become an avid poetry reader Mm -hmm. now but i do know like there's a book called milk and honey that keeps popping up on Mm -hmm. bestseller lists and stuff it's a book of poetry um and i thought well i would be open to trying that Mm -hmm. now if i saw a book of poetry that was gaining a lot of attention or for some reason crossed my radar I wouldn't be like nope poetry I'm out yeah like there was a new Billy Collins book that came out last year that that it's nice to know that you can that I can do it because I always think poetry is really impenetrable to me like Mm -hmm. I don't always get it um or I read it and I think I'm sure there's stuff and I'm sure there was stuff in this in these poems that I didn't appreciate or Mm -hmm. didn't get but um but some of it I really like I really liked it like Mm -hmm. uh thinking about life and valuing life and taking chances and all of these things that I yeah. just thought was, I don't know. It was really Plus you have the satisfaction of finishing a book fairly quickly because they, right. they read fast. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Unless you like spend lots of time yeah. ruminating on it. Yeah. But. Well, originally I thought I would read a couple a day, but mm-hmm. I ended up breaking it up maybe into just like two or three chunks. Like mm-hmm. I just did them in big bits and I read it fairly quickly. Yeah. So um, that's View with a Grain of Sand by Vizlava Zimborska. Awesome. I know. All right. Well, we'll be right back with what we're reading this week. What are you reading? Um, I am right in the middle of Another Brooklyn by Jacqueline Woodson. Oh, yeah, you read this one too. I listened to that. Yeah, I listen. I'm listening to it right now, <laughs> and it's a very short book. It's um, when I looked at the print side of it, it's mm-hmm. less than 200 pages long, and it's only about three hours long, maybe mm-hmm. two and a half hours long as an audiobook. Um, so it, it is not a big commitment, which is is kind of nice sometimes with a book. Mm -hmm. Um, It's very beautifully written. Jacqueline Woodson is just a phenomenal writer. I think we've talked about her books before. We talked about Brown Girl Dreaming. Dreaming, Yeah. yeah. And I kept thinking that you had talked about another Brooklyn Mm -hmm. in that. And so I kept going back in our (laughs) archive to make sure. Um, But she won the National Book Award for Brown Girl Dreaming. And and in my head, she had won a National Book Award for this one too, but she hasn't um, Yet. yet. As it stands now. Um, but she primi- primarily writes YA. Um, she's written some adult books in the past, but she, for the last many years, has been writing YA. But this is her first book meant for adults in, I think, 20 years, I want to say. So it's framed by the return of a woman named August to Brooklyn after the death of her father. She goes back to Brooklyn to to attend his funeral, and she's been living overseas for several years. And she runs into one of her childhood friends from when she lived in the neighborhood in the 1970s, and this ba- brings back a flood of memories for her. Um, she'd originally moved to Brooklyn from Tennessee with her father and her little brother when she was eight years old, and they their mother was left behind, but it's kind of ambiguous of what her deal was. You You get the impression that there was some mental illness going on with her mother. Um, and you find out throughout the story um, sort of what was happening. Um, and she feels when she, she arrives, she's very isolated and lonely. And she's she's in a city for the first time when she had been living in a rural community before. But she's befriended by three girls who represent to her the place where she wants to be and, and sort of everything that's, that's wonderful about living in the city. Um, and they give her a sense of belonging there. And together they learn the lessons of growing up. Um, where they have all this optimism and hope in the, of the future and sort of the world is their oyster. Um, but then they're they're coupled with the burdens of, of having lives that aren't perfect and they have dangers that they encounter in the, from living in the city that they can't protect each other from. So it's a, a coming-of-age story. It's kind of, it's less plot-based and more just impression-based, I would say. Like, I, I probably have an hour left of the audiobook uh, or maybe about 45 minutes and it's not like there's a there are story there's a story that I'm following. It's more just just the, it, but it's not quite vignette either. It's more just just a, a a story of a place and a time. I would say, and these these people that exist in that space. So 
it's about their female friendship and the ways that young women are always kind of at risk from from men that they um, that take advantage of their age and, and their gender. And especially for these young women who each have a life without a mother in some sense. And they so they don't have mothers to help them navigate these these relationships that they're encountering for the first time. So what's impressed me so far is how amazing it is that Jacqueline Woodson can create a fully fleshed out space with so few words because it really is a short book. And she's just she's just such a great writer that she can give you so much with so few words. And yeah, it's, I'm really enjoying it so far. And the audiobook is absolutely wonderful. The narrator's voice is gorgeous and, and her her pacing is really wonderful. And usually when I listen to audiobooks, I tend to speed up the mm. the or to, to increase the speed quite a bit. And I'm not on this one, mm. partly because it's just short and so mm. it doesn't feel like it's a huge time commitment anyway. But also her her way of spacing out words mm. is really beautiful and mm. I don't really want to rush that. Mm-hmm. So so far so good. I really I really have liked it. And it's called Another Brooklyn by Jacqueline Woodson. All right. What I'm reading this week is Forbidden by Beverly Jenkins. Oh, I've been wanting to read a Beverly Jenkins. It's so good. It's the first one I've ever read. So Beverly Jenkins is a historical romance or not just historical. She's a romance author. She writes both contemporary and historical. And she, um, yeah, she's like a classic. Like from the 70s or 80s is when she started writing? 80s. I think. I think you're right. Yeah, I think. But this is one that just came out last year. And it's set in the 1870s in Nevada. And that's new for me. Usually when I read historical romances, they're set in Regency England. Mm-hmm. I'm not big on like, there are Western romances. I just usually don't read them. Right. This is about uh, one of the main characters is Ryan. He's the biracial son of a wealthy white plantation owner and one of his slaves. And he can pass himself off as a white man, um, which is exactly what he does. He moves to a small mining town of Virginia City and becomes a su- successful story basically and hides his past um which i my impression is he was a character that was introduced in a previous book by her that involved maybe his sister or Mm -hmm. something so like there's backstory there that you definitely don't need to know i hadn't read it um and didn't realize that until it seems like that's kind of common yeah these books to have it not be a it's a series kind of but it's not yeah, like the plot continues. Yeah, just, yeah, you can pick them up and, you know, side characters yeah. or people that made appearances in other books. So yeah. this is actually the first in a new trilogy by her called, I think, the Old West Trilogy. But I I would have to look at the, the end notes or whatever mm-hmm. it was at the back of the book that, that talked about which one it was spun off of. So he's a successful businessman. He... This small town, this mining town, basically the different races live in harmony with each other, but there's still some separation. Mm -hmm. Um, But he helps out the black citizens of his town. He runs a saloon um, that welcomes black people, which not all of the business or basically none of the other business Mm -hmm. establishments from a white, that are owned by a white person would do, um, which everybody thinks he's white. And so he has the respect of the all the white people because very involved in the community and he's business owner, but he also has the respect in and admiration of, of black people as mm-hmm. well. So he just kind of gets along with everybody. And he's engaged this really horrible, spoiled white woman who's just awful. I mean, she only cares about status and wealth and kind of what he can bring her if once they get married and and wants him to sell his saloon and make money. And, and anyway, I think it's Eddie Carmichael, but maybe it's Edie Carmichael, is on her way from Denver to California with the goal of opening her own restaurant. And she is swindled by a man who pretends to be a priest, and he offers to give her a ride a portion of the way. He says, I'm going that direction. I'll take you. And then he ends up sexually propositioning her (laughs) and stealing all of her money and leaving her in the middle of the desert and driving away. And Ryan finds her, he and a friend of his find her and rescue her um, and brings her back. She's very, she's like on the edge of death when Mm -hmm. they find her. So they bring her back to this town where she can recuperate, uh, get back on her feet, make some money and, and continue with her plans to move to California and open this restaurant. Well, immediately sparks fly between them, but she's really only planning on being there temporarily doesn't want any attachments and also he he's white she has no intention of getting involved with somebody who who she knows is going to cause problems um and he he finds himself drawn to her but he knows that if the truth came out he would basically lose everything he's built in this small town Mm -hmm. oh it's so delicious it's so good that's i mean it's you know goes from there and Mm -hmm. it's it's a great portrayal of this 
mining town in the 1870s. And I, I just really loved it. I thought it was great. I'm going to go back and read as much Beverly Jenkins as I can. And so that's Forbidden by Beverly Jenkins. Did you listen to the Reading Life episode of on? Yes. That, that was, it was such an interesting episode because very... she talked about how she had to break all these barriers mm-hmm. as being a black romance Rom- yeah. author. And... Well, even still, there aren't very right, many. Right, there's hardly any. Yeah. And so um, it it was just like, if you were to pre- present to me, here's a, a podcast about a black romance author, mm-hmm. I would not be terribly interested because mm. I don't care about romance mm. very often mm. or at least I didn't <laughs> and, now I don't uh, <laughs> um, but it was such a fascinating episode yeah. and, and just talking about how hard it was for her to get published mm-hmm. and all the things she had to do to to break this mm-hmm. into this industry mm-hmm. and now she's she's just a standard she's, I know she's classic so I know yeah I couldn't I you know I there are just so many books to read right. and so I sort of I'm mad at myself that I hadn't gotten mm-hmm. to her sooner yeah um, but uh, it's just really cool to see like one of the things I always feel when I try to read more diversely is that I know that I like genre mm-hmm. fiction and often books that are um, portraying characters of color are are very literary mm-hmm. it's it's not very common to find like a mystery that mm-hmm. has a Hispanic detective mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. just not they're not published very much which mm-hmm. is a shame and so um so when you can find genre that's yeah. already something you love mm-hmm. and then it just incorporates other people that mm-hmm. don't have their stories told so so nicely it's yeah. just like the most perfect book present yeah that you it can really find. is it's yeah. so satisfying very so, satisfying yay yay all right so we're done right yeah. yeah let's go back and say all the books we talked about this episode okay i talked about the language of flowers by vanessa diffenbaugh wool by hugh howey bet me by jennifer cruzy not cruz don't <laughs> make that same mistake and what I read this week was Another Brooklyn by Jacqueline Woodson. All right. And I read Longitude by Davis Sobel, uh, which has some long subtitle. All you need to know is Longitude. It's longitude. <laughs> You'll find it. The Boy in the Suitcase by Some People. <laughs> and View with a Grain of Sand by Vizlava Zimborska. And what I read this week was Forbidden by Beverly Jenkins. I can't believe you're willing to attempt the Polish name. Was It, it was Polish, right? Yeah. I can't believe you'll do that, but you won't do Danish? Come on. <laughs> That is so much more straightforward. <laughs> you look at the Polish name compared to the, I could attempt the Danish, but I would say it totally wrong. Yeah. All right. It's just fun. <laughs> You're just a Danish snob. <laughs> That's true. I'm not going to deny that. Okay. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us to give us feedback or a suggestion on a topic you'd like us to discuss, you can email us at wellreadpod at gmail.com. Find us on our Facebook page or on Twitter at wellreadpodcast. Please rate and review us on iTunes or your other podcast provider of choice. Our podcast is engineered by Adam Farver. Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear. We keep our show notes at BeaufortCountyLibrary.org slash wellread, where you can find a listing of every book we talked about in this episode. Thank you all for listening and happy reading.